Paul. And Shania. And welcome to Head Boss in Charge. Welcome back. For another week. Can you believe this is episode number 16? Yes, I can. Mostly because <laughs> I looked the other day and I was like, oh my gosh, 16 episodes? We're in the double digits. Right? Um, so how you bossing, Paul? Uh, this last week has been terrible. Awful. Oh. At work. Okay. There's just a lot of um, operational mishaps. I'm currently understaffed. I have a couple folks who are away on leave, which makes my job very difficult. But um, fortunately, HR and the rest of my team have been instrumental in hiring temps, getting the ground running. Everyone's just picking up the slack okay. until these folks get back. But it's just hard to work at a nonprofit when you're already under-resourced and then when shit just happens, then you're extremely under-resourced when you don't have the staff um, support that you need. So it's affected my morale a little bit. Um, yeah, and even when I go to dance class in the evening, I'm so in my head because we've had a full day of work. And um, sometimes I, mean, I just need to step out of myself, but I'm sometimes too much in my head. Mm. So I can relate. Yeah, so it's whatever. I'm hoping next week is better. Well, I have, uh, I had a series of like run-ins with bitches, yep. like to just okay. be real, like plain about it. And I'm not at liberty to speak about any of it, um, just based on my role, <laughs> but it was, it has, it had been a rough, um, couple of days and then I ended up leaving work a little bit early cause like I, I had interacted with the last bitch for lack of a better term. Mm. Um, so I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore for the day. And I left and I got a little bit of fresh air, um, but I had my mom in town to visit Cute. recently, so that was a really good, just super chill, relaxed visit. Um, yeah, it was just fun to hang out with her and just hear like her shit talk and stuff like that, so mm -hmm. me times 10. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a good time, so that it just puts things back into perspective for me when uh, she's able to come and visit and kind of reminds me of who I am. Um, so yeah, that was good, and I'm just trying to get get back into um, I don't know, feeling energized with work stuff. Um, outside of work has way. been good and fine. Um, workouts have been good. Run, I'm on a di slightly different running program, um, which has been nice to not have like to log like really long miles. Like I haven't had anything over five miles in like a few weeks. Um, so it's been nice to have like small amounts of miles. Uh, but work stuff is just. I'm trying to find a groove um, uh, and figure out what I'm what I enjoy with my work right now. So mm. it's not bad, um, but it, for a while it's been taxing, and I'm working on a really challenging project right now. Not challenging as in like, oh, I I, I want to grow in this area because I don't have mm -hmm. any interest in this area. So it just feels um, heavy and dense, and yeah. Okay. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think, I was like, I think it's good. Like, things aren't bad, though. No. It's just the... And I'm still ignoring a lot of the stuff that's happening um, with 45 mm -hmm. and all the dumb decisions that they're making, but just got to keep pushing through, and hopefully yeah. he'll be killed or impeached, but... <laughs> this is a public forum, so I will not post that on that. Um, but I'm hoping that something happens. I heard recently Richmond uh, put forth a petition to impeach. The president, like Richmond, it, the city of Richmond in California. Oh, okay. Um, they actually put something forward 
to mm. impeach him. So I'm actually not even sure what the impeachment process. I don't is. either, but I was like, "Get it, Richmond." Yeah. Okay. Uh, All the way. They were like, "We're doing this," and so I know that there's some sort of petition out. I don't know if it's a petition or how that works, mm-hmm. but it was publicly like on the news. Wow. So I don't know where that's gonna go. All right. Well, where do I sign up? Right. I was I was appreciative of like a city taking <laughs> a stand in some way. So. But yeah. for me to be really fine, we have to go through like five levels of the succession for me to feel okay. That yeah. The because, country's protected. The next one in line ain't shit either, mm-hmm. so. He might be even worse. Okay, and we're back for water cooler talk. So last week's episode, we had such a great time interviewing our colleague and friend, Roz. We thought, why not do it again and interview uh, Dynasty Hunt? Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Great. So, you know, we have some questions, but of course, we're just going to see where the conversation goes. Um, But just talk about who are you and how did you get here? Yeah. Uh, So I am Dynasty Hunt, and I currently am the Vice President of Human Resources for Rocketship Education, and I am a fitness instructor at Euphoria. So I have two jobs currently. Um, My main job is doing human resources with a K-12 charter network where we have 16 schools in four different states and serve about 8,000 students. Wow. Oh, that just came up with like 17 <laughs> other questions. <laughs> I heard the charter school thing and I was like, this, this country is going, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll table That's that a not, little bit later. Yeah, table it. <laughs> um, so can you talk about your experience in human resources? Has your career always been in human resources? Have you done a switch? Yeah, it's a really good question. So it has been in human resources, but it's been an interesting journey for me. So I actually started off as a work study in human resources in college, where I was just answering phones and making copies. And I used to break the copy every week. So you're like, maybe you should be <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, clearly not working for you. I know my opportunities and strengths. Um, and so as I was answering phones, I really thought, wow, it's really interesting because I've been able to help applicants really fill out applications. And so I thought, I'm going to go into recruiting. So right after college, I went back to Nashville. I went to Mercer down in Georgia. I went back to Nashville where I'm from uh, and started recruiting for a local arts college there and thought, wow, this is really interesting, but now I'm interested in the rest of human resources Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't Mm -hmm. let me touch in college. (laughs) Uh, So I decided to apply to a job at Target as a human resources executive and went online, sent in the application, and they turned me down because I didn't have enough experience. So I went to a job fair where they were hiring for cashiers. They were opening a new Target. So I went to this job fair and walked in and asked to speak to the manager and mm, said, yes, go hi, you know, I know that uh, you guys turned me down online, but it's because you didn't meet me in person. Mm-hmm. And if you met mm. me in person, you would really want to hire me for this HR All job. Right, sales pitch. And he said, you know, you're just crazy enough that we should at least have a conversation. <laughs> uh, so five conversations later, I got hired at Target and that was right. my first HR executive position. So I worked there in the Nashville market then got moved to a larger market uh, in the Atlanta area, and then ended up taking an interesting turn where they said, wow, you're doing so great in HR. What have you thought about more general leadership and just running a store? And I had never thought about that pathway, but thought it could be really great for me to be able to understand HR by being able to touch 
every other part mm-hmm. of the organization and seeing that from that lens. Uh, so I got promoted into a store team leader, ran a store for about three years in the Atlanta market, and got through a phone call of a friend, was having dinner with a friend. Her husband was moving to Kansas City School District mm-hmm. to work with the school district there. And there was lots of interesting stuff going on there at the time. And he was hired for a job, so we were at a dinner where I was saying to her, you know, congratulations, best of luck, I'll come and visit you. So, you know, one day, maybe I'll go work in education. I really like working with kids. We volunteer because of the work we do at Target. We have a school partnership mm-hmm. with a school right down the street. So I'll probably do that when I make a lot of money and retire. Uh, and the next day, her husband called and said, hey, there's a new grant that came in. So the school district is going to hire me with the grant. We've never worked mm-hmm. together, but April says great things about you because she was my work-study boss mm-hmm. in college. Okay, okay. And so he said, why don't you just come and interview? I know this is so random. You have no idea what's happening in the education sector, but you should come and interview. I went and interviewed, was offered the job on the spot, and said yes on the spot, and then moved to Kansas City three weeks later. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Stay in touch with those people. <laughs> right. You know. don't, don't burn bridges. Don't burn bridges. Do not get, burn those bridges. That's how you get the jobs. I'm already prepared to go off script. Okay. Because um, Loki, I love that you're like, when I make a lot of money, so like, don't be fooled. That's That matters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to uh, get a sense of what was, I know you started off in recruiting, um, and then you kind of moved to more general kind of HR, looking at the whole picture of HR. Were there any areas that you really liked and excelled in? And were there any areas in HR that you were like, maybe not my strength, and so I won't focus on those? Yeah, it's a really good question. So when I first thought about where I wanted to go from recruitment, I was really thinking about the recruitment aspect. So I just thought, great, it's great to recruit, but maybe there are other ways where I can learn. If there was a benefits package that goes along with recruitment, maybe mm-hmm. I could understand benefits better or compensation better mm-hmm. so I can better recruit folks. So I actually did not go into it thinking that I was going to do all of the general aspects of HR. I thought I will just be a better recruiter. I'll take this job, go back to recruitment. Uh, but when I got to Target, really fell in love with the overall idea that I could touch every single piece of HR, including leadership development. Okay. So I would say that the core, and it's still my core to this day, is being able to develop leaders or to see the potential in them and say, there is a skill set that you have or there's a skill set that you need to get that I think you have the potential to get there if you have the right mindset and you're willing to work on it. I want to pull that out of you so that you can be a better leader. Uh, there are other areas of HR that don't quite excite me as much, but that I, I manage. So employee relations mm. is something yeah. that <laughs> it is not it is not something that I get excited about. Yeah. But when I went to the school district, my job was director of employee and labor relations. And so I sat across from the union three days a week okay. um, discussing yeah. you know anything from benefits to mm-hmm. collective bargaining agreements to sometimes fighting with them about a teacher and whether or not that teacher really needed to be in the classroom because were they really great for our kids or not. Right. Uh, and so that has been a part of the wheelhouse where I would say if I could give one thing up, I would give up employee relationships. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone is going to let yeah, me and CEO at Rocketship is not going to let me either because he knows I'm good at it. <laughs> right. Sometimes the very things that we're really good at are the things we don't like. We yeah. talked about that yeah. a lot of times before. Absolutely. Um, just a quick clarifying question. When you say HR exec versus, you know, I hear HR generalist, sure. what's the main difference? Uh, so at Target, it's pretty much the same except for you're able to make a lot more decisions. So you're doing a lot of the generalist work, but when it comes to 
making decisions about termination. If you're an HR generalist, you are doing everything up to that point. So you can gotcha. pull together the information for the manager, you can make recommendations, but an HR executive or an HR director, and in my role as VP of HR, I make the final call in terms of whether or not that termination actually happens. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so you're black. You're I female. am. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> In case you didn't know. <laughs> Your announcements here. Okay. Um, Got it. And you're you a boss. The name. <laughs> <laughs> you're a boss in San Francisco, just living it and doing it. Um, but, of course, being a person of color in these leadership positions, we don't see a lot of us in these types of positions. So what are some of the challenges and successes behind success behind being part of a small demographic in the workplace? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, <laughs> you know, the first thing I would tell you is it was a success, but also a challenge is being able to find my place and mm -hmm. find my voice. Mm -hmm. I really felt like through all the positions that I've had up until this point that I really knew my place and knew my position and really felt like I have a very strong voice. But there was something that shifted when I moved into this vice president role at Rocketship. Even though I came on the Rocketship as a senior director and got promoted into this role, there was something about sitting on the senior leadership team, being the only person of color out of mm. nine individuals that's on the mm. senior leadership team, and realizing wow, I thought I had voice, but I was not showing up in a way that I was using, utilizing my voice and realizing I was muting myself because I thought, well, I need to figure out how to assimilate to the rest of the group. I need to figure out how to make sure that I'm doing whatever the rest of the eight are doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't until about six months in where I was pretty frustrated with myself personally and pretty frustrated in my job that I went to my CEO and I said, you know, I got to tell you that I'm not utilizing my voice. He's like, I noticed that you're not speaking up as much in senior leadership team meetings. He said, I feel like I'm not able to use my voice because I feel like I've lost a bit of myself or a bit of power. And that's nothing to do with you. But I'm just telling you that needs to change. And you should be aware of that as mm -hmm. a leader because I'm not going to be the first. Or I should not be the first, right? He's like, no, absolutely not. Great. So now that we've established that let's figure out how we make sure that that doesn't happen again for someone else mm -hmm. and let's make sure that I have voice at the table or that my perspective is heard. And so one um, win that I will share is there was a conversation we were having about one of our schools uh, in Tennessee and I'm from Nashville originally and there was a term we were talking about having transportation brought to students and everyone was really focused on what should we do for the students and families, a really good conversation. But everyone around the table kept using the word, well, we're going to bust the students. We're going to bust them. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, and, you know, using this term, and I said, you know, I just got to share with you that this term is not an empowering term. This term is not something that is perceived in the way that you all are perceiving it as we're using it as a verb. And I explained it in the connotation. It was great afterwards how many of members of the team came up afterwards and said, I did not realize that, and I'm glad that you were able to bring that perspective into the room because I did not know, and I need to be more aware of my own biases or the things that I'm not realizing are happening. And I think that conversation now translates into how we think about our schools in different regions because the schools we serve in San Jose 
are very different than what we serve in Milwaukee and in Nashville mm-hmm. and in DC in terms of family and student populations. Okay. Wow. Do you find yourself to be the kind of the fact checker or when you say things, does everyone look around and say, well, yeah, it's the black person has something to say or something like that? What's really great about the relationship with my CEO, I give him a lot of credit. Uh, he, he takes feedback very well. And so there are a lot of times in the room where I have not had to be the fact check- checker mm. because in conversations that come up, I will go to him after and say, I'm mm. not going to be the fact checker. You are. Because okay. you are this, you're not, you're, you're white, but you're also the CEO. And as the CEO, what you say and what you put out there then trickles down across the organization. So you need to pull this message out and you need to push this message. And he's been very good about even on diversity because there's something interesting, right? Like diversity is a part of human mm-hmm. resources and that's a part of my wheelhouse, but it's also a very interesting dynamic being the only African-American leader on the senior leadership team having diversity under you. And having folks who may think, well, you're just pushing your own agenda. Mm-hmm. I am. But <laughs> they tell me to note that. Right. Um, and so it's about pulling in my CEO and him being the voice um, and me pushing him and pushing his mindset on it, which he's been good about. But I think that is not a, I don't think that, I don't think that is typical. I think that not every CEO is going to act yeah. in quite that way. Uh, go ahead. I was going to, uh, so it sounds like, to a degree, there's a uh, bit of negotiation that you have to do kind of internally. How do you balance kind of like the, the bigger picture strategic kind of conversations with like making sure that you focus also, like there's some day-to-day things that happen. So how do you, I don't even want to say balance because I don't know that, that everything, anything is ever a 50-50. So how do you negotiate making sure all of those needs kind of get attended to? A lot of it is through manager training. So something that I started at Rocketship that we didn't have before when I first came on board was leadership development training for leaders uh, that work on our network support teams, so more of our central office teams that support our schools. And through those conversations, we have been able to introduce more of a lens. They're, they're always threaded with a line around diversity and folks checking their own biases mm-hmm. in their own perspective, not just you know around race, but around gender, around sexuality. And so we force those conversations into the room. But, and what happens is then I don't have to do a lot of the day-to-day because the managers are carrying that on, which right. is what you would want if it's around diversity, anything that you would want. It truly is the middle-level managers that if you want change to happen within your organization, these are the folks that you train. These are the folks that you get bought in because they're going to be the ones that ultimately are going to drive everyone else. Okay. I like okay. that. Yeah. Um, I had a follow-up question. Just, oh, you watch the show Insecure, right? I do. That conversation you had with your uh, boss or CEO is very similar to when Molly talked to her boss about, okay. you know, there's some feedback that you need to give to this junior associate but I think it would come better from you as the CEO or the white person or whatnot. And um, instead of me as the black girl trying to um, pass on this wisdom to someone else. So it's very similar. Yeah, I I would just say to that, uh, I do think there is something around remembering or just sharing with other leaders who are either in this same position that I am or about to be in this position or want to be in this position at some point. Uh, that you do have to make sure that you have your voice, that you feel very comfortable, and that you have norms. And so 
before I've even had initial conversations with my CEO, I said, okay, so let's talk about our own relationship where we are, our working relationship, are we comfortable being very transparent with each other? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So now I'm going to talk to you about a bunch of stuff related to race. Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable mm-hmm. when I come in and I want to say something about, yeah, I just worked out today and my edges are completely sweated out. Are you going to be okay with that? <laughs> we have had those conversations, but a part of that is being able to build the relationship but also setting very clear norms and expectations. Uh, because I do think if you don't, the danger in that is then he could say something because he starts to get too comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so he could say something that you find offensive. And if you haven't set those norms or expectations, you're like, man, I just came home and my boss just offended me. Well, he didn't know because he's like, oh, we're really comfortable now. And I can say whatever it is. And so the same thing goes with that situation with Molly, I do think lots of folks come in and they don't set those norms or expectations mm-hmm. and then build a relationship where those walls can be broken down, where you can have the real conversation in the room or where I can't say to him, because when I first started, I would sort of say, this makes me uncomfortable as a leader. And now I'm like, this makes me uncomfortable because I'm black and I need you right. to know that. And those, those are two very different conversations to have with someone. Did that look different now that you kind of, you work in education as opposed to working, uh, when you were working at Target, do you feel like those conversations are different from, I guess, period, are those conversations different? What's interesting about it is, at Target, it was a lot more open, but I also think they were a lot more open with it. So it was almost like the elephant is in the room, and so you're able to go, and you're able to say whatever it is, and they brought it up themselves. They were like, we're going to talk about diversity. Whereas... My organization, and in a lot of education organizations, it's not brought up. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that's like on the walls. You don't see it. Like it is mm-hmm. an intentional effort. You're seeing a lot of organizations now, both school districts and charters, make an intentional effort to try to build in a program or to try to build in more dialogue around it in a way that has it. And to be frank about it and be completely transparent, a part of this is particularly in charters, not as much in districts, but in charters, the majority of the individuals that you have leading charters and leading charter organizations are white, but the individuals and the students that they serve mm-hmm. are not. Right. And so it just reads for people just being uncomfortable because it's like, I don't want to call the elephant in the room. But if you call it out, maybe you could do something about it. You could change that. Uh, but I've also worked in the district where it was majority African-American, and they also weren't doing very great things for kids. So it's a very interesting dynamic. <laughs> Can I ask a clarifying question? Can you yeah. give us maybe a snapshot of, like, from your perspective, what you see the difference in a district and a charter school? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and I will caveat this by saying that, obviously, my perspective is very limited, um, but I have worked in both. So I think there are a couple of things. I think there is a myth that charters are immediately out to do something where they're going to push out kids, or they only want certain students to come in. I honestly, truly do believe that depends on the charter. We have never expelled a student, not one. We truly mm. believe, but we're in the minority in okay. terms of charters. So we truly believe, but that comes from the top down, where we truly believe that any student that's in our building, we are going to serve them until the family and that student does not want to be served anymore. We want them there. Um, and lots of other charters are like that too, but there are several who are larger who have a different perspective on that and so it gives charters a really difficult name um i think sometimes charters can move too quickly so i think because we don't have as many rules or regulations on us in terms of state 
federal regulations. There are some that obviously all schools are mm-hmm. bound to, but there are some where we have more flexibility and freedom. And so I think there are times where we're moving too fast for communities and families and students where you'll see stories about charters coming in and the communities don't want them because they haven't built a relationship and the charter's like, no, we're going to be good for you. And the community isn't quite there and not bought into it yet. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something there. Um, I think with school districts, you know, I, I continue to say, and given my limited experience, that the issue with school districts is not necessarily the students, it is the adults. There are a lot okay. of adults who are very much focused on adult focused issues and not focused on what's best for kids uh, and I think that allows for a lot more complacency and a lot more of what you see where there are a lot more school districts where there are low performing schools but it's because there's a level of complacency with adults that's been allowed and people are not being pushed to think about it differently charters are much more in the public eye so we get pushed every day and sometimes we don't want to be pushed but I'm glad that we are I think in districts, they're not pushed as quickly um, because it's almost like they're the default, right? Like if there are two electricity companies and you've got this new one, then you can push them more. But if this one's always the one that Mm -hmm. you have to come back to, because regardless, if this one closes, you still need electricity, right? So this is all you got. Mm -hmm. Then they don't get pushed as much as I Mm -hmm. think that they should be. And when you're working on the inside of it, you see um, a lot more of that. But I continue to say to my district friends or folks who've said, man, you you sold out. You switched to the other side. No, put us, close us, please. I I do not envision that charter schools should be open for forever or should grow Mm -hmm. or anything like that. I think um, if districts would just serve the kids, there would be no need for charters in the first place. Mm. (laughs) I can appreciate that. Yeah. Sounds a little bit like higher ed in terms of the slowness of the move being mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just based on my own experience. Yeah. Uh, just a quick comment before the next question. It's really ironic how I think we're all privileged to be working at an educational facility where conversations of social justice and change should naturally happen, but you still encounter those struggles in the district with leadership not understanding the population that they're working with, right? Mm-hmm. So it's... Yeah, it's, it's a little ironic. Yeah, and I'd say it's interesting to be like the should, like we should be having those mm-hmm. conversations, but sometimes like who starts the conversation? Does that make sense? Yeah. I remember last year there was, last year was a shit show in many varieties, um, as was 2015, but I remember being frustrated at work because I'm like, is nobody noticing like that? For example, black men are being killed like at just like day after day, and we're all just walking around here like, oh, if you could put more paper in the copier. And I'm like, are we like, for real? And then one day I just decided not to come back to work after lunch because I was so pissed. Um, but I was like, I also don't want to always be the person to be like, hey, you know, I'm black and I don't know if anybody has paid attention to any form of uh, news, not even news, like you can go on Facebook, Twitter, like uh, fake news, whatever the case may be. Like it was everywhere. Um, you know, what you just said just resonates for me because we had a bit of that issue, but it was not because people just wanted to keep going. Lots of folks were having water cooler conversations. So they were talking, you know, in the kitchen or in the break room mm-hmm. um, of all different uh, races, backgrounds. It, and, But no one wanted to, like, say the real conversation or to pause and say, hey, people were really being affected by this. And it was in that moment, there was a moment this past summer where I brought it up to our CEO and our VP of marketing and said, 
not only should we say something as a senior leadership team, but we should actually say something to our families, to mm-hmm. our parents, mm-hmm. because these are parents of young black men who, you know, potentially could be in these situations. But what was really interesting about that was not, you know, obviously the impact was we were able to share information. Our CEO wrote a really amazing Thursday reflection, opened up a lot of dialogue across the organization. Um, But more importantly, I realized that I did have a place. And so what you were speaking about, you know, not wanting to be the black person bringing this up, I didn't want that either. But it also then made me realize I'm in a position of power Mm -hmm. in the role that I'm in where if I don't bring it up, maybe no one else will. And so I actually owe it to the rest of my staff and the rest of the individuals in the organization who are feeling this, who are reflecting on this to bring it up. So it was a moment of shifting from, and this this goes back and forth. So on an, any given daily basis, there are times where I'm like, I don't want to be the only. So mm-hmm. I'm going to mm-hmm. stay in this position or go to, go to my CEO and say, you handle this one. But there are times where I'm like, man, I am the only. Mm-hmm. And if that only voice doesn't get heard, then none of this comes out. So it's... With much power, this yeah. is my pressure. <laughs> pressure. Much responsibility. Do you just walk into it and just say, here it is, let me just do it? Or that's a lot of pressure. How do you handle that? Honestly, it's a, uh, it's a day-by-day basis mm-hmm. uh, because there are moments where I need to have a moment uh, and I haven't dealt with it personally. And so I know I'm coming from a place of very high emotion. Uh, and I need to be able to figure out how to step back. And so, you know, talking with an external mentor of mine to share, like, get it off my chest before I go in. Because I also don't want to go in so overheated and so overly emotional that it's not her, like, what we really need to do Mm -hmm. uh, in order to move conversations forward, put things out there. And so sometimes it's just finding your venting partner where you can say, like, here's all the stuff I'm feeling. I'm going to pull this all out there. So then when I do go in and have the conversation that I think needs to be had to move our organization forward in these conversations, then it could be a very solutions-oriented based mm-hmm. conversation. Uh, I'm going to give one other example. It's not related to this, but it's related to the election. Um, and I'll put my bias out there. I did not vote for um, Donnie. Uh, <laughs> 45. But I was in Milwaukee uh, during the the night of the election and we were going for a school visit. It was myself and my CEO at the time. And the very next day, obviously the election happened. I was pretty upset. I was in a state that voted differently than I did. I wanted to go home immediately and I had to go to the school. And we get to the school and students and families are there. The students and families are there and they are asking lots of questions like what's going to happen with my child? Um, Students are saying, you know, I have papers, but my mother doesn't or mm-hmm. my dad doesn't. Should mm-hmm. I still come to school? What should happen? This is me after the election. And I can remember going into like a back conference room with my CEO and we were both just sitting there talking. We both said to each other, wow, this is a really tough moment because we have our own personal things. And so we literally got on the phone with the rest of our senior leadership team around the country and we all vented. And we all shared our frustration about what just had happened. And we were so disappointed. And it was about a 10-minute conversation. And we said, okay, now we got to go put on our game faces. Mm-hmm. And we got to go give an answer to our parents and our families and our staff. And we got to get them focused back on getting the classroom. Because right now, there's nothing else we can do except for make sure we're continuing to educate our kids. 
And so just in that moment, thinking about those times where you do have to take time and space for yourself mm -hmm. in whatever ways you can find or create it, to have those moments where you can be vulnerable, where you can let it out. Right. Because when you are in a senior leadership role, everyone's always watching. And mm -hmm. so you can't have those moments in public, unfortunately. Right. Oh, I'm going to go tinge kind of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Mostly because this was on my mind when you first kind of talked about like what your role is um, and the organization you work with. Um, so there is a new Secretary of Education uh, <laughs> who has a variety of views, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, as, you, as you talk about kind of like the roles that you all at the senior leadership level sit in and kind of like you, you almost have to say something rather than like sitting quiet and just kind of going on as nothing is happening. Do you feel like any of your conversations have changed or your actions have changed or are you planned? You can't tell all your secrets, but are you all... Um, is the way that you go about your work differently given who is now the Secretary um, of Education and kind of what her views are? Um. Yes and no. Uh, our work is different because of, not, not necessarily because of who um, it is, but because mm -hmm. of other reform or other actions that are okay. being taken. Um, I point more broadly to what's happening um, with immigration right now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and how many of our families are immigrant families uh, and the things that they are going through very personally right now and the stories that we're hearing from families. So I would say we are shifting our response and our actions to that. Uh, in response to the Secretary of Education, we're not shifting, we're moving along as is. Uh, two reasons. One, because we just don't know exactly what's going to happen. And so for us, we feel that it's not actually effective to sort of stop and move and stop and shift mm -hmm. okay. with whatever we think is going to happen until we know. And then once we know, we'll be better able to respond to it. I think we're also in an interesting position because of her viewpoints that she has shared. Some of her viewpoints, she has some interesting viewpoints. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> very interesting viewpoints. But one of them actually impacts us negatively, which is, you know, there are a lot of folks who truly believe that she is more focused on um, lots of school choice mm -hmm. and lots mm -hmm. of charter schools. And so people have tied her and her credibility to charters in a way yeah. where we're like, we, we're not here with this. Yeah. Right. We're charter, but we're not here yeah. with this. Okay. But it hurts us, like, automatically. Yeah. Even though we're like, we're into different different yeah. pages uh, yeah. with that and I will say just you know I'm happy to put this on record but I will say this is not my organization's views whatsoever this is totally my own personal mm -hmm. view yeah. you know in my own personal view I don't think we should do anything because I don't know that she's going to do anything mm -hmm. and so I'm like right. I don't know what I don't think any of the actions that you're going to take I don't know that you're really going to take any action so mm -hmm. we're not really paying attention to you and it's really the same with all these cabinet <laughs> yeah. positions. It's just like I you you don't make sense in this role. You have very um, limited controversial experience viewpoints <laughs> and yeah, limited experience. Yeah, I think let's just hold off and just continue business as usual. No, the most tangible one has been what's happening um, with immigration. Mm -hmm. I personally mm -hmm. think it's incredibly unfortunate. But also, if you um, sat and talked with even one family and you heard the concrete things that our families are doing to prepare mm -hmm. in case of is incredibly disturbing and just makes you go, I cannot believe we are sitting in this time and we are having these conversations yeah. and I can't give you better answers and I can't, 
I think that's the thing. We feel sometimes in those situations like our hands are tied um, and that all we can do, which is still the right thing to do, is to make sure no matter what that we're giving your child the best education possible so that we can have really bright, educated people in office in the future yeah. that can change the country. Mm-hmm. Thank you for entertaining that. that yeah. Just, yeah. You said that. I was like, okay, because she be caping for charter schools. And I'm like, but are those know, the ones that... I know. Like, is everybody aligning with what she says? Is that what it means? You know, having limited, 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 no experience with charter schools. Like, you know, you hear someone say it and I was like, is that what all charter schools think and where they want to go? So I'm also so. a uh, Broad Residency Fellow, which is um, the Broad Residency is a program that um, is based out of L.A., but essentially um, is started by Eli Broad. And it essentially takes individuals from for-profit organizations and sometimes from nonprofit organizations and places them into school district uh, charter and state education roles to help shift thinking and to help drive change. What he ultimately is trying to do with this is trying to bring in more leaders of color into okay. the organization okay. to be able to drive at the level that I am at. Right. Um, and he came out and tweeted the day before, and it was a very big deal, <laughs> uh, because he's very pro-charter and very much about school choice, but he came out and tweeted his displeasure with them nominating her and that he would not be supporting that. And there were so many individuals that were upset with him, and I was like, yes, because this is an individual that can come out, yeah. versus like yeah. us as an organization, we almost have to remain, we're not yeah. neutral, but we need to remain neutral yeah. from yeah. so many different sources of funding of and how things are set up, where um, we are we, we tow the line, and we know what line we can tow, uh, but there are lines where we, as an education organization, I believe this for charters and districts, there are lines where like we need to stay out of the fray, Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is for no matter what in K-12, our focus should be on the kids, no matter if you're charter or district. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Ooh, politics. Right. <laughs> so we're going to kind of jump off a little bit for a fun question. Sure. I know you look at a ton of resumes all the time. Oh, resumes. <laughs> and I just want to know from a VP, what are your top five personal do's and don'ts on a resume? Oh, can we do resume and LinkedIn profile? And oh, LinkedIn, yes. Oh, Let's do that. yes, yes. Because as a person, I'm like, I look at your name and I was like, let me see if they have a presence on there. <laughs> <First> <laughs> about there. So actually, I will start there. Uh, I don't recruit much anymore. There is a recruitment team and there are another team that works for our organization. But that's the first thing I do when I see a resume. I pull out the name and then I go and I, looked at the, I look at the LinkedIn profile. And if you don't have one... Mm-hmm. It's a huge strike. Mm-hmm. Or if you have one and you don't have a picture, that's a strike. Yeah, and the thing know. is, I know some people have shared, well, I don't want to have a picture on my LinkedIn profile because then they could be biased against me. We really aren't. We just want to know that you have a picture mm-hmm. and that it's not your Facebook Saturday yeah. night picture. Right? <laughs> so that would be a don't. Right. Maybe um, not a selfie. Yeah, yeah, somebody else take Not a selfie. Not you know, on a beach. Not on a beach. You want it to be an appropriate headshot you don't want it to be super where people can't see what it is maybe they see you in action my picture is of me actually training doing an orientation with some of our teachers uh but you want to make sure your picture is appropriate on your linkedin profile on your resume i still see this and it shocks me how many individuals have an email that is not appropriate. So. Uh, oh my god! Like AOL, hotchick97.com. Yeah. What was worse? Uh. It was like it was like 
fried chicken 78. Okay, that's enough. Yeah, I'm not going to email you. I'm not going to email fried chicken. Yeah, it's not. So that's just not going to happen. And really, if you don't have a Gmail address, if you're using anything outside of Gmail, I somewhat judge, but that's just me. If you're still in Yahoo. I'm like, what makes this thing perhaps working out with the times? Yahoo's still like, in business? And you know what? There's, there's a few people who are still in Yahoo, but you want to make sure that uh, that Yahoo email address is also appropriate. Yeah. I do think a do is to go ahead and be proactive and add your LinkedIn to your resume. Lots of folks aren't doing that. And it's like, listen, you, I know you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you might as well add it on there and have it has the top line. As um, a hyperlink. I do. As a hyperlink. Low key. I don't want to like cut and paste. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I do think that I see too many resumes where folks are listing off just their responsibilities. I can get that from your job description. I can pull up your job description on your website and know what you did. There are too many folks who don't talk about the quantitative results Mm. that they have gotten in a resume. And so the one thing that I do when I look at friends or family members who say, can you look at my resume? Almost nine times out of 10, I turn it back to them and it's just bloody red because it is all around... Um, I am a cashier. That's great. But I need you to tell me like what you did. Did you like save someone from you know, jump over an aisle and do something fun and target? I don't know what that is. But you know, having those bullets uh, are really important, those actionable bullets, because you want someone to be able to look at your resume and go, she's interesting enough that I need to have a conversation with her, or he's interesting enough that I need to talk to him. They may not have every single skill that I'm looking for in this job. But they've got enough results that that makes sense. Uh, I hear the rules around this one-page, two-page resume deal. Mm-hmm. I really don't have a belief in if it has to be one page or two pages. If you got two pages of really great content um, and that all makes sense, great. If you have four pages of content, you need to cut the resume because then you immediately look like a job hopper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because four pages of content, depending on your age, you it immediately... Yeah. Yeah. yeah it uh, it sets off a certain tone, and likely all of that experience is not relevant. It's not. It's not all relevant. <laughs> Although people will be like, "It's all relevant." I was like, "No, it's not." What I tell people to do is to build out your full resume, so because you don't lose any of the information. Mm-hmm. Right? So build out everything onto like one big template. It could be seven pages. If you had seven, seven, all these jobs. Yeah. And once you have that, cut it down. So the job that you're looking for, then create a section that says personal, personal experience. And that are, those are all the jobs that are related to the job that you're looking for. And there are other things that are of relevance, then create a, a relevant section, add like two jobs there. So if you're mm. looking for a job in education, but they're looking for a high project management skills, list the jobs where you worked in education, but then list the relevant job where you did this internship where it was all around project management. So being strategic about that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I would say that pictures on resumes are a no. I've seen that a lot. I've seen that I'm too. I'm starting. It's like I, a new wave. Oh, it's a new thing. Yeah, I think so too. And I know folks who are. I had someone email me, and the cover letter was like, "Check out my resume. Like my here's my picture, but also check out my resume site." So lots of folks are mm. recommending that you create like a okay. portfolio site. If you're a photographer or an artist, yeah. sure. Yeah. I don't need to see that in education. Like mm-hmm. that's not something in a lot of industries. That's one more way to like get you thrown out of the pool because yeah. you haven't shown me anything. And right. If I have to go to one more link, I'm just I just move on to the next person. I just need to have the information right there. Uh, and the other thing that I would name is 
folks forget the cover letter mm. so much. And I know that it is it's a pain to write a cover it's letter. So let me tell you why I tell people to write a cover letter or when I tell them. If, if you don't want to write it every time, fine. When you write a cover letter is if you don't have as many years of experience for the job that you're applying for, mm. you don't have all the skill sets, you need to sell yourself. Yeah. And so in order to sell yourself, you need to put in that cover letter, I know that you're looking for X, and maybe I don't have as much of that, but let me tell you what I do have. Mm -hmm. It opens up this door for this conversation, because if I look at your resume and I'm skimming through and I don't see it, then I'm going to go, nope, moving on. So I say write the cover letter, but write it in a way that's not just relisting what's on your resume. Talk to the person. Make it a letter where you're engaging them. It's a real conversation where you're actually, it feels like you're almost interviewing with them like us right now. And a person can go, wow, I need to pull that in. The other trick I say is when it says upload your resume, put the cover letter as the first page and put your resume behind it, PDF it, mm -hmm. and then upload it together so they're forced to read the resume first, mm -hmm. the cover letter first. Oh, okay. Okay. Versus nice. keeping them separate. That spawned two more questions from me. Um, <laughs> so what are your thoughts on how to communicate like technical skills versus soft skills? Uh, do you want both the questions now? Sure. Um, and then the other one was how similar should someone's uh, resume be to what their online uh, LinkedIn looks like? So mm -hmm. should it be like That's cut and paste one. from here to here? Should I have more detail here? So thoughts would be. Yeah, great question. So soft and technical skills, unless the job really requires a very specific te technical skill like a certification, I don't list them. I don't need to see them. Um, if you're going to list them, like you have a certification and that is an important part of the job, then I would put them actually under education. So I'd list the degree mm. and then list mm -hmm. your the other certifications that are under there. Um, but I think we are past the days of that section that you see on resumes. I still see it where it's like, Really good at typing. Yeah. I don't know Microsoft Word. I'm not a Microsoft Word. I was like, how did right. you get here? You like, gotta go. Next. Let's take it in line. Or like, I really like people. I really hope they eat too. You're probably going to work so. with some. Um, so I think yeah. those are automatic assumptions. Under the soft skills, utilizing action verbs that get at your soft skills. So if you're really good with people, um, you would say something like, built meaningful relationships that allowed me to increase sales by 7%. So create it mm -hmm. through the action verbs okay. or the bullet points under each job. Um, and that's also how you get to the quantifiable results because now that action, when you start putting action verbs in the front, that immediately means you have to come up with something that you've actually done. Right. <laughs> so it starts to lead you in that direction of writing your bullets differently. Uh, on LinkedIn, I would say it should be, it doesn't need to be everything on your resume, but it should be high level points. But I will tell you, it is so amusing to me, the amount of, of people who will have one title on their resume and a whole uh. other title on LinkedIn. So you'll see stuff like, <laughs> I am a creative people finder. Okay, you're a recruiter. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's your job. So when I call and I verify your employment, and I call and I ask for, did this person work as your creative people person? Yeah. And they're like, no, they were a recruiter. That's bad. Because it actually goes against whether or not you're integral. Mm. And so that's the first layer. So now folks, they're still checking references, but they are cross-referencing your resume to your LinkedIn mm -hmm. to see mm -hmm. if they look similar. Uh, one other thing I will just add 
is that so many people forget to put that section. You probably saw it on my LinkedIn, but it just talks about who you are mm-hmm. and what you stand for. It doesn't need to be forever, but that is your intro. So that is important as well as getting recommendations from people who have worked with you mm-hmm. to put those on your LinkedIn is important. I will say this. People don't pay enough attention to the LinkedIn profile. Every section that's on there, if you got something that's worthy to put on that, <laughs> that section, um, add it. So, like, yeah. don't put your Facebook blog post on there, but if you have been no, actually <laughs> published an article, um, if you've been published an article, add that. But the LinkedIn sections are made to work for you, and people don't utilize them. Okay. That's good. One you- little quick thing. <laughs> There's always some people right. questions. So... Uh, going back to that, uh, it was recruiter versus what was the creative, creative people, people finder. finder. <laughs> a lot of organizations will have same roles but different names. And sometimes I feel the need to just change the title slightly so that they understand what my role is in the context of their organization. Do you support that? Is that what, what, what do you feel about that? Yeah, um... I don't really support it because I think just leaving your title as is and then adding the additional bullet points, you should be able, someone should be able, a recruiter or someone who's in HR that has an eye for this should be able to discern that that job is similar to this job. You can also voice over in a cover letter. Oh, that's true. Yeah. She's pushing the cover letter again. She's right. like, so in the cover like, letter, damn. you can go ahead and uh, capture cover that. The cover letter that no one wants to write anymore. I'm, totally, and I'm, just, I'm not saying you need to write it every time, but the cover letter, 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 I mean, my job that I got at Rocket Ship, so I should just say this because I, I haven't shared this yet. Every single job that I've had, I feel very, very blessed. I was not qualified for it. I was not qualified, obviously, for the job at Target. I just walked in and was like, you guys need to hire yeah. me and take this mm-hmm. bet on me. The job in Kansas City, I had not worked education. I have never worked with unions. I had not done years of employee relations, and they yeah. gave it to me. And the job at Rocket Ship required 10 years of experience. I did not have 10 years of experience, but I had cover letters. And that was enough for people to pick up the phone and say, that was intriguing enough for me to want to talk to you, and then I could pull them in. Okay. Fake it till you make it. Right. That's the theme of our podcast. <laughs> for reals. Fake it till you make it. Or fake it till you feel it. Yeah. Right? Uh, so one last question. Um, are you happy right now with where you're, you're at in your career tra- trajectory? I am. Uh, so... I will say this. I am happy with where I am at now. I think that there are areas where I want to continue to grow and develop and spend more time on. One, I talked about the importance for me to continue to develop leaders. I definitely see myself and in my future work, both at Rocketship and beyond, uh, doing more of that work, uh, both in the education sector and out. I just think that's something I'm very passionate about and want to really drive. I also have found that happiness is all around balance. But I will tell you that I very much dislike work-life balance. I mm. dislike that entire phrase. It, yeah, it doesn't um, exist. We hear this a lot, and I totally think that we can make jobs more sustainable and do okay. different things. So let me just name that if anybody wants <laughs> <laughs> we, we hear you, and we want to do more of that. But I also think it's an individual thing mm-hmm. where an organization can't come out and say, okay, guys, no emails after five, and that is going to solve work-life balance. It's yeah. just not, because yeah. it's very individual. And for me, I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast that I have two jobs right now. I really have three, because I'm working on like starting a blog and some mm-hmm. other stuff. But the second job I have is teaching fitness classes. And so mm-hmm. I teach anywhere from like two to six times a week. Uh, and like this week, for example, I taught at 6.30 and 7.30 a.m. 
showered, put on my business suit, and then had a series of meetings and went to a board meeting and then taught again in the evening. That is not for everyone, but that is my happy place because I am able to choose, hey, I like working out. I really do like being able to teach this class. So let me figure out what works best for me. That does mean that then after that 5.30 p.m. class, because I left a bit early to get there, that then I go home and put in a few extra hours of work for my job job, and that's okay because Mm -hmm. that's the balance I have found for myself. I have found that every Saturday night does not need to be out in the streets. (laughs) It can be working on a PowerPoint for next week because I chose to go to brunch Mm -hmm. with some friends or do the podcast (laughs) this afternoon. And those are the choices that I make. So I think for me, happiness is being able to figure out what your own balance is and being completely okay with that. You like to do email at three o'clock in the morning. I know some individuals that do. Mm -hmm. That's great. Make sure you boomerang it or use some sort of system where people <laughs> yeah. don't see the emails until 7 oh, so they yeah. don't think you're crazy right. and emailing at 3, 3 a.m. Right. But again, I just think people need to fight for their balance and figure out the pieces and the times they're going to protect. I protect the workout classes because I like working out and that's meaningful to me. Other folks are going to protect the happy hour on Tuesday. Other folks are going to protect watching Insecure every Sunday night mm-hmm. and getting their work done at a different time. But do the things that work best for you but then also realizes a trade-off, which means when you're protecting those special times for you, you also need to be willing to put in the work at odd times that aren't for you to make sure you're getting the job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very well said. Well, shout out to Boomerang. Is that yeah. new? Is that a new thing? No, it's been around for a while. There's oh. Boomerang and then there's well, Yesware for Pro. I'm, I'm out of the loop. So, so <laughs> I was like, this is great. So. I say that because sometimes I get up at like two and I'm like, they don't. You don't want your team that you're Ditto. managing because mm-hmm. then they'll start to start. She's emailing it too, so, so I'm actually up right. I gotta be oh, yeah. <laughs> the trickle down effect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, Dynasty, thank you so much for uh, interviewing with us. And can you tell our listeners where they can find you, social media, whatnot? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn at Dynasty. It ends with an I, so it's D Y N A S T I. Similar to the TV show, but not as much. <laughs> um, so you can find me there. And then I am getting ready to launch a new blog, and it's up, but there's not content up yet. You should definitely check it out in the next couple of weeks. It's called Bar Raise Leaders. Dot com and it's all around leaders raising their bar. Love it. Great. And we'll make sure to put all that info in the episode description. Okay, let's take a break. If you have questions, uh, feel free to email us at headbosspodcast at gmail.com and we will get to you uh, when we get to you. So this week we have um, one of our loyal listeners, Ingrid, um, which is a fake name, uh, but Ingrid has asked a few questions around mentorship. So I'll just toss a few of those out there and see where we get. Um, So she asked, what are your thoughts about mentors and mentees who identify differently than you across race sexual orientation or gender. Um, is it important to you that your mentors share some of your identities? Why or why not? Hmm. And there might be a third, another question if there's time. Well, we all have many identities and some I can infer or assume, <laughs> some I don't know. Um, 
I think when I was younger, having a mentor disclose that information to me was pretty important. Um, moving forward, I, I do want to share those uh, those mentor relationships with other people of color because they just understand what's going on in the workplace and the struggle. Um, and I would hope that would naturally come up in a conversation between if I was the mentor and I'm, you know, there's a mentee or vice versa. Um, we just have to recognize that within our identities, we're all going to experience something different than our white counterparts, right? Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I would say that's, yeah, go for it and share those identities if you feel comfortable. As the, if you're the mentor, I would not assume I would let that mentee disclose upon themselves um, what they want to share and then let that be part of the professional development. Are you, um, you're talking like specifically natural. about the sexual orientation part? Uh, yeah, sexual okay. orientation, right. Because other identities you can't really um, pick up on right away. So unless they're wearing a rainbow flag. Yeah. So. But they might just like rainbows. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I... Was that yeah. kind of what she was asking? Yeah. Um, so my thoughts are, in terms of uh, mentees, kind of across um, lines of race, sexual orientation, or gender, um, I think as long as those people, the two people that are involved in that mentor-mentee relationship, feel like there's a genuine connection, I think I don't have any concerns uh, of folks that I am either a mentor for or mentored by, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think of my mentors... Um, and I have a few of them, and they are women, they're all women, uh, and by all I mean both, Um, and then uh, one is a woman of color, and another one has um, another marginalized identity, so Mm -hmm. um, for me, I guess that's kind of where I gravitated, I I didn't enter in those um, now mentee-mentor relationships thinking like, I want this person to be my mentor, Um, or sometimes I did, but I didn't. I didn't want to outright ask and be like, hey, you don't know me, but would you be my mentor? Because um, I tend to think that's a little bit weird. Um, because what if it doesn't work? Like, yeah, yeah. What if we just don't connect in that way? You, you don't you, you don't choose your mentor. No. It's it's very natural. Yeah, it, it happens. Um, and then I tend to be a little bit awkward when it comes time to like, when I want to start being like, oh, I like, I like the conversations that we're having and yeah. I'm learning a lot. And so then I'll be like, so you know you're my mentor, right? And it, <laughs> it works every time. Right. And they're like, yeah, I just they, we didn't need to put a, a name on it, but yeah, I've kind of felt that the whole time. I was like, okay, good, me too. Okay. Um, it's not one of those. Can you check yes or no? Yeah, you right. My mentor. <laughs> it's my little folded origami <laughs> note. Yeah. Um, and then for the people that I am a mentor for, I think it's just kind of happened, and I have I have found out kind of like low key around the way that they see me as a mentor because mm-hmm. maybe they've mentioned it publicly or something, and I'll be like, oh, I felt that, but I'm glad that they were you know let mm-hmm. them define that. So. Yeah. Um, and those folks are, um, oddly, like a number of white men like consider me to be like in their a mentor for them, oh. um, and that's fine. Like I, I've known those folks for a while, so I, I certainly feel comfortable for them. And I, the my style challenges them from what they've said, and um, it's made them think. So um, I, I haven't felt any sort of barrier in terms of uh, across racial lines. Um, and that's great that 
people who don't fall in your same identity still see you as a mentor, right? So yeah. the, the identities are a great connection tool for growing a mentor-mentee relationship, but it's not the only yeah. thing to find that commonality, right? Yeah. Um, if you aspire to be in that place of your mentor, then um, strike up those conversations and see if it works out. Yeah. And I say don't be, be willing to be open if someone, if you see like a potential of, someone who you like, oh, I could probably, it'd be good for us to be in like a mentor-mentee relationship because you might not be their cup of tea. Mm -hmm. So I say be open to if they like, if somehow the relationship doesn't go the way that you think it should. Like, sure, you can be internally hurt for a moment. You're like, oh, I thought we had something and we're moving somewhere. But remember, it's not about, especially if somebody's looking for a mentor or that kind of leadership or guidance, you might not be that person. Right. Um, And I think it's okay to be open about that with yourself to realize that you may not be what they're looking for ultimately. Mm-hmm. So, um, cool. thanks Ingrid. Yeah. Uh, actually she had another question. I think it might be helpful oh. um, and I'll try to make it quick. Um, do you find you, you need just one mentor for everything or do you have several mentors that kind of play different roles? Oh, good question. Um, definitely several mentors, uh, especially since I'm at this interesting point in my career where I'm trying to, do something different Mm -hmm. and I need new mentors for that new career path. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's just a matter of who's available. (laughs) All right. I got my little black book. Let me see. Nope. Okay. Shamita, you there? I just need to talk to someone. (laughs) Right. Crisis crisis intervention. Yeah. Um, I say similar, like I have some like specifically related to work and then I have one that's the crop of work. Um, uh, and I, Roz already knows this. She's one of my mentors. So we talk about work and life. Mm-hmm. So she gets a mix of both because she's not, you know, really close to either of those worlds, like in terms of my friend groups or like the folks that I work with. So right, like we right. talk about both things, you know, like if I'm having a rough run day, like I'll be like, oh, my run sucked. She'll be like, it's okay. Like what you did was you got out there and did it. And that's, you know, where you got to start. So sometimes it's getting out the door. So yeah, I certainly think that to have to put all of my shit on one person would probably be a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> like, you need to go see a therapist. Yeah, that right. Point, right. So, all right. So, um, thank you, Ingrid, for your insightful questions. Uh, please email us at headbosspodcast at gmail.com and we'll be right back. Process. So I've been lately binge watching uh, the People versus OJ. Oh yes, um, you caught up. <laughs> it's finally on um, Netflix because uh, I don't have regular and I don't dig through to find shows. I'm like the shit's got to show up on Hulu or something else. So it's on Netflix. Um, and I've also been keeping up with This Is Us, which I, This Is Us, which I think we've talked about before. I'm all caught up. Now. That show is life. Like Ooh. what the fuck. Anywho, so if you haven't caught that, it's on, I don't even know what network it's on. It's amazing. The cast is sick. But my uh, boss ass uh, for this episode is Sterling K. Brown, who mm. plays, um, he's in People vs. OJ, and he plays Chris Darden. 
Um, and then he's in This Is Us, and I can't remember the name of the guy he plays. He's um, like the only, no, he's the... He's one of the triplets. Yeah, he's one of the triplets, um, the adopted one. Right. Which you learn in the first episode, so that's not a spoiler if you haven't seen it. Um, but I just, number one, I loved, I love his character development in This Is Us. Mm-hmm. And we have finally start to see him in a really vulnerable space. And mm-hmm. I'm not caught up on the most recent episode. Um... But like it gets really deep. Be prepared. Yeah, um, which is, really I think I've been too. I've been avoiding it. Um, yeah. But I love his character development in that, and it just it really endears me to him. Mm. Um, and I can't. I'm trying to now find other things that he's in, and I've just pulled it up, so I'm sure I'll find some other stuff. Um, but I also, as jacked up as the whole O.J. Simpson story is, um, and I'll leave that at that. Um, I love the way that he plays the role of Chris Darden. Um, and I'm almost at the last episode, so I'm like, oh my god, it's over? Um, I fucking know what happens, because that right. was years ago. We were, um, but I just love how intense he is in that role and how much he commits to that character. And I, so he is my boss. Like, he is just shining through, black man, doing his thing. I need to go back and look at the other stuff that he is doing. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so yeah, I'm really feeling his character and those two shows specifically. And I actually have another boss ass. And I Keep haven't going. even seen this movie, but have you heard Get Out? Oh, my, it premieres this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I need to see it. Yeah, so um, I'm, I've seen a trailer and it looks scary as shit. And I don't like scary movies. Yeah, you're not a and horror then, no. person. Okay. But then my friend was like, oh, you could probably just think of it as a suspense thriller. And I was like, what the fuck? It looks it's, scary. Yeah, I saw yeah. the trailer. Um, but it's getting so many rave reviews from mm-hmm. people, and I think it's uh, Peel, yeah, Jordan from Peel. Key and Peel. Yeah, yeah. so who, Peel. So he's one of them. Yeah, uh, and I don't know too much about him, but I, I am fascinated by the buzz that this movie already has. Yeah. Um, although I'm a little nervous to see it. So shout out to him for doing something that seems to be really getting people's attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I will talk about it a little bit once I see it. Although I'm nervous to see it. Cause, only because it looks a little bit scary. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. the reason why it's also just getting a lot of hype is I was listening to uh, Code Switch's recent episode, uh, podcast episode, and it, they talked about the horror genre and the representation of blackness and a lot of stereotypes and just uh, these occurrences where, you know, the black person is the first one to die. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this movie really goes above and beyond what ha- <clears throat> excuse me how black people have been represented in horror films. So yeah. um yeah, So we'll have to talk about it like yeah. once. Uh, so yeah, those are my two bosses. So shout out to Black Men for the week. Yeah. Uh so uh, I have two bitch ass bosses. My first one's really short um, because it's been several weeks since we've found this out. But uh, it goes to the Grammy Academy. Oh, God, I can't. Okay. (laughs) For once again, taking Beyonce's entire body of work, like, it was a baby that she birthed, right? (laughs) Lemonade. And it represented black women from all over the world and oppression and freedom and all of that. And I was okay if she didn't win Record of the Year or Song of the Year, but Album of the Year for the second time in a row, it's just a slap in the face to what it stood for which was for blackness and for freedom and black lives matter and it it just annoys me that they can't see art for art 
music should go above and beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. The definition of art should be above and beyond that. So I, I wasn't surprised. It was just like the Trump election. Yeah. I wasn't surprised. Oh, you said the name. Uh, 45, <laughs> whatever. I'll, I'll delete it. Oh, I shrieked a little bit when <laughs> you said d- it. <laughs> Uh, get out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, there's that. And, you know, Beyonce will still always be Beyonce. She has two babies coming along the way and she's got the money. Yeah. And, like, she doesn't need the awards. So, yeah. And she's still the most nominated female. I believe so. Singer I don't follow stats but... terribly, but they, they surely kept pushing that one out. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next one goes to, you've probably heard about this on the news, um, a YouTube video circulated of a group of young kids in Southern California, I think it was Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what they were doing before this incident happened, but the video starts uh, with an off-duty LA cop grabbing this young boy, black boy, he's 12 years old, all his friends are surrounding him, and the cop yelling at the cop to let go. Um, And I don't think they realized he was a cop at first. I think that was um, something they picked up on as he started to just drag this kid through bushes, through the lawn. Um, And it it was so... I I did not understand from the cop's perspective what he was trying to do. I don't know what provoked him to want to arrest a kid while Um, (laughs) off-duty. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he... It, it was kind of like watching preschool children just play. It was so sloppy. It was, I was so sloppy. I saw it when he was like, he couldn't like get his gun out. Not that yeah. he had a reason to, because you don't, you know, we come in at a certain part, so who knows. But certainly, I can't imagine a group of teenage boys getting yeah. you so flustered that you couldn't even like get your shit out your pants. And right. I'm like. Even one you... of the kids, I think, shaded him for that. Yeah. Well, and I was like, is this a real cop? Because I wasn't sure until I read the, some of the articles. I was right. like, because if you can't do the basic shit of your job. Right. So, so um, mm-hmm. there's several iterations of this video because I think all the kids had different angles of mm-hmm. the scene on their cameras. And so, um, after like probably four minutes of just this cop trying to drag the kid around and the friends trying to grab the kid's backpack, which is attached to the kid, and pull him off the cop, um, he fumbles for his, you know, his gun in his pocket and he shoots it. Um and everyone, you know, the cameras started turning off and everyone started running away. And luckily no one got injured. I, I mean, the, the bitch ass boss goes to that, that, that dude. I, I don't know what kind of animosity you had towards those kids or whatnot, but do your job. Just do mm-hmm. your job. Mm-hmm. Stop making it so um, political. Stop making it a personal vendetta against People who have nothing to do with you, they were just minding their own business, right? And you had to disrupt their day like that. So it's I'm just really glad that this was an incident that no one got killed because mm-hmm. usually every week something like that happens. Yeah. So. Well, as you say that, I thought of a bitch ass because I'm thinking about what's been going mm-hmm. on in the world and I'm trying to keep myself from social media. But uh, did you hear about 45 uh Putting out, trying to put out legislation to rescind rules on bathrooms for transgender uh, yeah. students. I, he already put it out, Ugh, I think. Whatever the fuck. So, yeah. um, Laverne Cox has been in, instrumental really in that lead. Yeah. Um, very, really vocal. And I, I saw a lot of um, like marches and protests the mm-hmm. day after that happened. Um, Even like low key shade, Caitlyn Jenner said something. And I was yeah. like, well, first of all, you voted. 
very outwardly for right. So you shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, as did like um, I don't want to talk about a child, but in however she made a choice that Jackie Ivanka, who sang at Um, the inauguration, who has a trans sister, and now that they're um, like, I guess she was on kind of doing the media circuit of like. Well, I had the honor of singing at your inauguration, insert eye roll. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would like the honor of speaking with you about this, like me and my sister speaking with you about this. And I'm like, but can, anywho, okay. hashtag trans lives matter. Like, what the yeah. fuck? Like, why is that even, like, why is this a conversation? <sighs> like, stop it. So, yeah. Sorry. I got kind of worked about, about that this week as well. Like, <clears throat> are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah. Yeah. What's it going to be next week? Yeah. So, Black people can't vote. Right. We're, a lot of them can't, but let's not even get into that. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's all I had for yeah. this week. Um, all right, so that ends our episode. Uh, please stay connected with us on all our social media. That's Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we are also on SoundCloud and Stitcher, where you can listen to us. And if you use iTunes, uh, please subscribe. Please rate us. We want to get the feedback from you so that we know how we're doing. And of course, email us anything at headbosspodcast at gmail.com. Anything? Nope, that's it. All right, see ya. All right, later.